This coming Saturday, March 19th, is the Feast of St. Joseph. So today we'll spend a few minutes talking about the great St. Joseph, the man who was chosen by God from all eternity to be the husband of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the head of the Holy Family, and the man our Lord himself created specifically for the perfect example of manhood for him to look up to whilst he was the incarnate word and as the most perfect human representative of his heavenly father. After our Lord and the Blessed Virgin Mary, no honor, no office, no dignity in the world is comparable to that of St. Joseph. As St. Alphonsus says, quote, The dignity of St. Joseph is superior to that of all the saints, saving only that of the Virgin Mother. Because God destined Joseph to fulfill the office of Father to the Incarnate Word, it must be held as certain that he conferred upon him all the gifts of wisdom and sanctity that befit such an office. Close quote, St. Alphonsus. In speaking of this same point, St. Jerome notes that St. Joseph possessed all the virtues in a perfect degree. In fact, it's the common teaching of the doctors of the church that no gift bestowed on any of the other saints, excepting, of course, the Blessed Mother, that no gift bestowed on any of the other saints was denied to St. Joseph. St. Alphonsus points out three of the greatest of these gifts that were granted to St. Joseph. First, being sanctified in the womb. What does that mean? Well, as we all know, Our Lady was conceived without sin. She's the Immaculate Conception. The prophet Jeremiah cleansed in the womb. Of course, St. John the Baptist at the Visitation cleansed in the womb. St. Joseph was conceived with original sin, but he was cleansed from that sin immediately after his conception. So he was conceived in sin, but immediately cleansed after his conception. Second privilege, being confirmed in grace. This is a privilege that Our Lady had throughout her life, and it's a privilege that the apostles received on Pentecost Sunday. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to be confirmed in grace? At the very least, what it means is that St. Joseph had so much grace poured down into his soul during his lifetime that he never once committed a mortal sin, and he also never once committed a fully deliberate venial sin. That's the minimum of confirmed in grace. That's what St. Joseph had. Third privilege, being free from concupiscence. It's Lent. Remember that concupiscence is this rebellion of our passions and our emotions against the rule of right reason, which is one of the principal reasons we do penance in Lent, is to fight this down, to get a strong control over concupiscence. St. Joseph had perfect control over his passions and his emotions from the time of his sanctification in the womb. So those three great privileges that he had, spiritually speaking, are sanctification in the womb, confirmation in grace, and freedom from concupiscence. Now let's take a look at a few of the interesting aspects of St. Joseph's life. It's the universal opinion of the fathers of the church that the priests of the Old Covenant actually arranged the marriage between St. Joseph and Our Lady. One of the reasons the fathers give for this marriage being arranged by the priests was that St. Joe came and St. Anne, and that St. Anne with the 
young Blessed Virgin there, St. Joachim and St. Anne were dead by the time Our Lady was a teenager. The fathers and doctors generally agree that there was a miraculous sign from heaven that pointed out St. Joseph as the spouse of Mary. An ancient tradition describes this, and it says that the high priest was inspired to use the exact same test that God had Moses perform to show that Aaron was the high priest. In other words, the high priest asked each one of the single men from the tribe of Judah, because he wanted to know who should be her spouse, he asked each one of the single men to bring a rod, a wooden rod, with their name written on it, and to deposit in the temple. The next day, they'd check them. If anyone had blossomed, well, that would be the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So the order went out, and all the single guys obeyed the high priest, and they come in with their wooden rods with their names written on it. The next day, here's all these wooden sticks piled up there with the names on it, except for one. It had blossomed. It was covered with leaves and beautiful flowers. And whose stick was that? Well, it was St. Joseph's. Okay. How old was Winnie when they got married? Now, nowadays, artists make him an old-timer. But if we turn back to the most ancient pictorials of St. Joseph, he's shown as a young man. It was many centuries before Catholic artists started portraying St. Joseph as an old man. Blessed Mary of Agreda says that he was 33 years old. Like Our Lady, St. Joseph was also a virgin throughout his life, as the great doctors St. Athanasius and St. Jerome teach. Another doctor of the church, St. Peter Damien, points out in his work defending the celibacy of the clergy that it was the faith of the Catholic Church that the Son of God not only had a version for his mother, but also the man that he chose to represent his father was also a virgin. A question often arises, if St. Joseph was so perfect, then why did he consider setting up beside Our Lady after they were married and he found out she was pregnant. Now this is important, but let me make a parenthetical comment. It's blasphemous to suggest to some people do these days that our lady was an unwed mother. Absolutely not. She's married. The great doctor St. Francis de Sales explains what was going on here. And he explains in the sense of St. Joseph reasoning with himself when he discovers that our lady's pregnant. Quote, what is this? I know she's a virgin, for together we took the vow of preserving our virginity and our purity, in which she certainly would not have failed. On the other hand, I can see that she's with child, that she's a mother. And how can maternity and virginity coexist? Might it be, he then said to himself, that she is that glorious virgin of whom the prophet declares she, con- she shall conceive and bring forth a child, and he will be the Messiah. If this be, far be it from me to abide any longer with her, I, who am unworthy to do so. It were better that I should secretly leave her on account of my unworthiness and not live any longer in her company. Close quote, St. Francis de Sales. St. Bernard reminds much the same thing. And St. Bernard cites the fathers in doing so. So what happened? St. Joseph is in awe. He's struck with fear. He realizes who Our Lady is. And he realizes how unworthy he is to take care of her and this child. And what changed his mind? 
God the Father saw the humility of St. Joseph there, who hadn't sinned at all, and sent down an angel to say, don't fear. And that's when St. Joseph realized, okay, I will stay. So he wasn't doing it out of suspicion or anger like some people think, but out of holy fear. A tradition of the Eastern Catholics is that throughout his life, St. Joseph, even though he grew in years, he never lost his strength. His eyesight remained strong. He had good teeth. He, he made very sound right up to the end when he finally died from the love of God. How about his death? Holy tradition tells us that both Jesus and Mary were present at St. Joseph's death. That's why he's the patron saint of a holy death. Of course, when he died, heaven hadn't been opened yet. What does that mean? That means that his pure, noble soul couldn't go to heaven. He had to go to the underworld, just like our Lord did. We talk about that in the Creed. We'll sing here in a minute that he descends into the underworld, descended to the dead. When we say St. Joseph descended into the underworld, what are we talking about? The great Jesuit and doctor of the church, Cardinal Robert Bellarmine, points out that it's the common teaching of the scholastic theologians that the underworld is divided into four regions. Now, two of these regions are places of punishment and pain, and two of these regions are places of great natural happiness. Okay, the two that are suffering, one is for the souls of the damned, that's what we call Jehanna, or in modern English, hell, and one is for the souls of those being purified. That's the place we call purgatory. The two that are places of natural happiness, one is for the souls of infants who die without baptism. That's the place we call limbo. And one was for the souls of all the just men who died before our Lord's passion, death on the cross, and resurrection from the dead. That is called the limbo of the fathers. This place is now vacant. It's been vacant since that first Easter Sunday some 2,000 years ago. The limbo of the fathers is where St. Joseph's soul descended to when he died. And you can bet that when our Lord went down there on Good Friday, he'd be the very first one that he'd gone and seen. And that must have been some kind of a meeting. Anyway, the Venerable Bede, doctor of the church, states that St. Joseph died, not surprisingly, on March 19th. He was up in Jerusalem for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he was buried nearby. St. Jerome has a fascinating observation about the place of St. Joseph's burial. St. Jerome says a particular place where St. Joseph was buried is actually within the Garden of Gethsemane. As one spiritual writer has noted, perhaps the reason our Lord chose to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane during his last agony was so that each of us might be encouraged to be close to St. Joseph in our last agony. The fathers, the early fathers, also point out that St. Joseph's tomb, which was visible in those days, is empty. So if his tomb is empty, where have they taken St. Joseph? The doctor of church, St. Francis de Sales, answers the question, quote, St. Joseph is in heaven in body and soul. Of that, there is no doubt, close quote. Now when and how did that happen? The Holy Scriptures teach that on that first Easter, quote, many of the bodies of the saints had fallen asleep or raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many, close quote. The saints and doctors teach that St. Joseph was among those saints that were resurrected from the dead on that first Easter Sunday. 
our Lord wasn't going to leave him out. And as we've seen, no gift bestowed on any of the other saints was denied to St. Joseph. St. Thomas points out that after having spent 40 days on earth, these resurrected saints followed our Lord when he ascended into heaven. And so that's how St. Joseph got into heaven, body and soul. And what is he doing now? He's looking down from heaven upon us with the most tender and thoughtful fatherly care. Pope Leo XIII, in his encyclical St. Joseph, explains St. Joseph's care for us. Quote, The blessed patriarch looks upon the multitude of Christians who make up the church, especially confided to his trust. This limitless family spread over the earth, over which, because he is the spouse of Mary and the father of Jesus Christ, he holds, as it were, a fatherly authority. It is then natural and worthy that as the blessed Joseph ministered to all the needs of the family at Nazareth and girded about with his protection, he should now cover with the cloak of his heavenly patronage and defend the church of Jesus Christ. Close quote. If you want to know more about St. Joseph, there's a lot of good books. This particular one is a very good book. It's called The Life and Glories of St. Joseph. It's by uh, Edward Healy Thompson. It's available from Tan, and it's got 500 pages of, of things on St. Joseph. It's a great book, chapter after chapter. Let's close today by listening to that great client of St. Joseph, the doctor of the church, St. Teresa of Avila, who tells us about St. Joseph's care for us. Quote, I cannot call to mind that I have ever asked him at any time for anything which he has not granted. And I am filled with amazement when I consider the great favors that God has given me through this blessed saint, the dangers from which he has delivered me, both body and soul. To other saints, the Lord seems to have given grace to aid men in some special necessity, but to this glorious Saint Joseph, he has given grace, as I know by experience, to help us all. And our Lord would have us to understand that having the title of Father and being his guardian, Joseph could command him. So now in heaven, our Lord does whatever Saint Joseph asks. Many persons whom, I'm, whom I have recommended to have recourse to him have known this by experience, and many already devoted to him have had fresh evidence of this truth. Close quote, St. Teresa of Avila. I cannot call to mind that I have ever asked him at any time for anything that he has not granted. Go to Joseph. If you haven't started a novena, at least... Do a triduum. That's three days of prayer. Pray this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to St. Joseph for the, your needs, the needs of your family, the needs of our country, the needs of the church. Go to Joseph. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. <laughs>